Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that these teachings from Colossians 3 and these last two imperatives for wives to submit to their husbands and for husbands to love their wives are particularly difficult for our flesh and difficult in light of the culture in which we live. And yet it is nothing for you to overcome our fleshly desires and overcome the culture and implant in us deep a desire to submit to these most fundamental teachings on the covenant of marriage. We know this is your desire for your people within your church, that you long for marital unions to reflect the glory that Christ has with His bride, and in so doing, Lord, reveal the gospel to many. We ask, Lord, that you would help us this morning to not just hear these teachings, but as men to respond to them. We ask that Christ would be magnified in the midst of this teaching, that we would see, in fact, that this imperative given by the Apostle Paul for husbands to love their wives and not be harsh with them is based upon the radical, sacrificial, and unconditional love that Christ has for His bride, the church. Let us revel in that this morning, Father. Let us be overcome with this divine agape from heaven that we might want to submit, that we might want to love in this way. We ask, Father, that you would do that here in this church, in all of our sister churches here in the South Bay, that our homes would reflect the work of Christ in our hearts and minds, that our marriages in particular would magnify His beautiful love for us and change this place, San Jose, the South Bay. Father, we recognize that we are under attack, the marriage and the home. So fortify us now, I pray, with Your Word and let it dwell deeply in us. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, please open up with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, along with Ephesians chapter 5, which we'll be looking to as well to get some help on this passage. These are some of the most difficult and contentious verses of our time. I need not tell you that. The home is under direct assault. Marriages are under direct attack. And so we want to hear this, that we might rightly live for God's glory. And and we want to hear this because we know, as Pastor Kurt prayed, that the foundation of the church is built upon Christ, starting in the home, starting in marriages. So this is a mistake that we cannot make for our homes, for the church, for the culture in which we live. We want to get this right for God's glory and for our own well-being. We have been now, for the past several weeks, looking at several imperatives from Colossians chapter 3. And and imperatives are good. It tells us how we're to live in Christ. They're instructional in nature. They're commands. They're not options. We're being told to live in these ways. But every single imperative that Paul has given that we are to put on is based upon the foundation that we have in Christ, the power that we have 
in the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So when Paul says, put on daily compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love, peace, and thanksgiving, he's saying do that in light of who you now are. You're a new creation. You've been born again. Christ dwells in you and you are hidden with him in God forever. So live as God's holy people. We do not receive these imperatives, thankfully, as a list of moral do's and don'ts. These are given to us to be exercised by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So we can do them. Husbands, if you hear this teaching today and you say, I can't be that man, that is a lie. You can in Christ. Sisters, if you heard the sermon from last week, the call for you to submit to your husbands as Christ, as we submit to Christ, then, and you believe that's not possible for you, that is a lie. It is possible in Christ. And so I pray that we can hear that this morning. Paul has turned his attention to the family, and he has a laser focus. Last week, we talked about the wives. This week, we'll talk about the husbands. Next week, we'll talk about parents and children, because he understands these relationships are fundamental to all of life. We get our marriages right, we get our parenting right, and everything else falls into place. We mess up on those, and everything else falls apart. So I pray that you've come this morning with an ear to hear God, that He might shape you in how you think and how you live, and not the culture. Because what the culture teaches us shapes us in ways that is dishonoring to our Lord and dishonoring to marriages. Last week, wives, you heard a most difficult call. I pray you found it beautiful. I pray you heard it in the context of Christ calling you to this glorious role to be the biblical helpmate to your husband that you were equipped and made to be. I pray that instead of wanting to succumb to Genesis chapter 3 and usurp your husband's role, instead of hearing the culture tell you, no, if you submit, you are not equal. If you submit, you are less valuable. I pray you've overcome those lies. And instead, you saw the beauty and the majesty and the power of submission, not only to sanctify you, but your husband, but to magnify Christ and his great work in submitting to the cross that we might be redeemed. Such a glorious teaching. This morning, we are going to direct our attention to the husbands. You cannot teach what we taught last week on wives submitting to their husbands unless the husband hears the call to be a Christ-like servant to his wife. They complement each other. Hence, we believe in complementarianism. The two go together. You can't have one without the other. Verse 19, the husbands are to love their wives and we are not to be harsh. And this love is not eros. It is not romantic love. I pray that in your marriage, I don't care how long you've been married, I pray that eros is there. I pray there's a romance and there's a beauty to it. But that's not the word that Paul uses here. He could say, husbands, love your wives in eros, but he doesn't. He uses the word agape, and we've seen that before. This agape is as misunderstood in the culture today as the word submission is. And so if we want to know how husbands are to love their wives, we got to get this right. And I want to do that today. I want to rediscover the oldest and grandest of all loves, agape love, God to man and man to one another. And I hope, husbands, I hope you do not find this discouraging. I do not want you in the midst of this to take out a flogging stick and start flogging your back saying, I am a bad husband, I am a bad husband. I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say, I'm with you on that. Let's hear God. Let's be encouraged by this. 
and then let's enact it by His Spirit. Let's do that this morning. Let's look at how husbands are to love their wives in three ways. By one, looking at the characteristic of love. What are the characteristics of it? Number two, what are the practices of it? And number three, what's the, what's the goal? What's the end? All right? The characteristics, the practices, and the goal of it all. Number one, the characteristics of love. Verse 18 and 19, Colossians chapter 3. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, we are commanded and called and blessed to love our wives. That means you do not love your neighbor's wife. It means you do not love your secretary. It means you do not love your co-worker, but your wife. And the command is agape. It is a love, as we've already seen, of preference. It is a love of choice. It is a love where you are consciously and willfully saying, I will die to myself. I will sacrificially love for the betterment of my wife. And this is the vow that you take if you are married in a biblical sense. Agape love says, I see the intrinsic value in my wife, and I'm going to love her to that end. I'm going to lift her up. I'm going to cherish her. I'm going to nourish her. I'm going to do everything I can as a husband within the confines of Scripture to magnify her worth, her value. Not only is someone creating the image of God, which applies to all women, but by God's grace, if she is saved as a daughter of the King, as a daughter of Zion, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they are filled In fact, you cannot read the Bible without seeing agape love, both described and displayed. But I want to focus on two aspects of agape that we also find in Ephesians 5. So if you have your Bibles open, you can hold a spot in Colossians 3, flip over to Ephesians 5 with me. A very similar command given by the Apostle Paul that gives us more detail. It's an expansion. If you want a good commentary on Colossians 3, 18 and 19, read Ephesians chapter 5. The best commentary of the Bible is the Bible, by the way. Two characteristics Paul gives us on what this love looks like. Ephesians 5, 25. Look with me. Paul says something very similar. Husbands, love your wives. And then he tells us how. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So when you leave here and you say, well, how am I to love my wives? I'm to love my wife as Christ loves the church. How did Christ love the church? He loved her unconditionally, and he loved her sacrificially. And these are the two fantastic qualities of agape that we want to be part and parcel of our marriages, husbands as we love our wives. If this is how Christ loves his bride, unconditionally and sacrificially, then husbands, this is how we are to love our brides, unconditionally and sacrificially. Now that word unconditional, like submission, like agape, it's misunderstood today. It's misunderstood in the church. Unconditional love, listen closely, it's not bound by emotion. Unconditional love is not bound by feeling. It'll produce them, and they're fantastic. There's a right product of that, but it's not contingent upon it. In a culture that equates love with feeling, and love with emotion, and love with passion, and love with sexual attraction, Agape comes along and says, no, it is not contingent upon any of those. Unconditional love that agape displays, says, I will love as a choice independent of all those other factors. It is an intentional putting love on someone 
regardless of how you feel. Now, in the context of a covenant marriage, husbands, you took a vow to love your wives in this exact way. And maybe you even said it. Maybe you had the traditional vow, and you said, I will love my wife in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. We could add here, whether you feel like it or not, until when? Until death do you part. And that means, dear brothers, that you will love her when she isn't all that lovable. And if you say to yourself, my wife has never been unlovable, then you haven't been married very long. You haven't. It doesn't mean that she's not worthy of that love, but there are times, all of us, that we're not all that lovable. Husbands, wives, children, we're not. It means that you will love her when you aren't feeling all that loved by her in return. You will love her when she's not that lovable. You will love her when she's not loving you. And you will do it because Christ loves you. And the motivation always goes back to the cross. This is Christ loving you. C.S. Lewis rightly said, The great thing to remember about love is that our feelings come and go, but God's love for us does not. Isn't it a good thing that God does not love us based upon how He feels? Isn't it a good thing that God does not love us based upon how we feel? But God loves because he made a covenant promise to do so. And so he loves by choice. He loves by choice. And this is how Christ loves his bride, church, and this husbands, if we're going to submit to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is how we will love our wives, by choice. This unconditional love also means that we will love independent of the worthiness of the person receiving the love. We all have tried to love people who at times are very difficult to love. Sometimes a spouse, other times a friend or family member. When that person is behaving badly, and when that bad behavior comes back at you, it is a hard thing to love them in response. The flesh wants to fight back. The flesh wants to get revenge. But the gospel says, no, do neither. Love instead. And if this, again, is how Christ loves his church, if this is how God loves us, then we must, we must, if we're going to have any integrity as a people, if Christ loves us like this, then we must love one another when we're not that worthy of being loved. Husbands, you to your wife, let me ask you this. When Christ came to you and put his love upon you, were you worthy of it? Were you worthy of it? Paul says in Romans 5.8, God chose His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You were completely and totally unworthy of any love or any grace of any kind when Christ came and He loved you. Now that's true. And this is the standard upon which husbands are to love their wives. Then you must, husbands, love your wives when she's not worthy of being loved. So that horrible sin, the most wretched sins, you say what she's worthy of is what? The Bible says she's worthy of condemnation and death. The wage of sin is death. But it also says in Ephesians 2, God reminds us, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's our response to our wives when they are not worthy of being loved, when they are engaged in sin. It means, dear brothers, that when you choose your love, as one author put it, you love your choice. I love that. I'm not big on little saying, but I like that one. 
When you choose your love, men, then you love your choice. You don't stop loving your choice. You don't turn your choice in for another choice. You love the one you've committed to. And the great test of this is how well we do when our wives are not that lovable. The great test is how well do you love your wife when she's not that worthy of being loved, when she's engaged in sin, when her behavior is not good. Will you cherish her? Will you nourish her? Will you come alongside her? We are committed, men, to so many things. So many of you are committed to your work, too much so. You're committed to your mortgages, you're committed to your schooling, you're committed to your hobbies. This is the great calling for men to be committed to their wives, to love them as Christ loves His church. It is a most high calling. So agape love is fundamentally unconditional. Agape love is also fundamentally sacrificial. Look at verse 25 again in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church unconditionally and gave Himself up for her. How much did He sacrifice for His bride? How much did He sacrifice Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God for us. For the joy set before Him, the great plan of salvation that God had established before the foundations of the world, Christ said, I will do this great work out of my love for this people. What did he sacrifice? He sacrificed everything. He gave up his body. He gave up his blood. He gave up his relationship with God the Father for you, for me, and all those that would be redeemed. It was the consummate expression of love that took place upon the cross at Calvary when our Lord's body was in fact broken and his blood spilled that we might have life. This is love. No greater love expressed. No greater love will ever be expressed than what took place on the cross of Christ. He gave his life as a ransom for many. John 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, and Christ, in fact, did. He did. So giving up your life, my beloved friends, for your bride, for your wives, cannot be just something we talk about. It must be something we do. It would have made no sense if Christ said, I love these people, but I will not die for them. That expression was displayed upon the cross. And so we must, as men, we must live daily in dying for our wives to show that love too. And that, this is, these are not the, the silly little hypotheticals that we come up with, that I would die for my wife. If my wife were standing and she's crossing the street and I see a car barreling down, I will run out and I will knock her over and I'll have the car strike me. I will give my life. I hope so. I hope you do that for more than just your wife, by the way, but I hope you would. Does that help her on a daily basis? What type of sacrifice will display the love of Christ on a Monday morning when she's not standing in the middle of an intersection waiting to be struck by a bus? The agape sacrifice will certainly include that, but the hardest part is the day-to-day, the hour-by-hour giving of yourself, dying to yourself for her, listen, daily well-being, for her Monday and her Tuesday and her Wednesday. It means, men, listen, 
if you are a father now and you have a young child in the house and you have the means of caring for that child at 2 a.m., you will get your rear end out of bed and care for that child so your wife can get some rest. And if you think that's her job, then you've missed the concept of servant leadership in your home. It means, brothers, that you will pick up the dirty clothes. You will do laundry. You will go grocery shopping. You will cook even if you're like me and you don't cook well. And you will do dishes. And you will serve her. You'll rub her feet at the end of the day when she's tired. You will help her. That is worth an amen. There's a lot in that. You will sacrifice for her. So at the end of your long day, how will you come home? You will come home tired and you will in your sacrificial love for her, do everything you can to minister to her needs. So you'll tend to the kids, and you'll clean up the house, and you'll put them to bed, and you'll read them the stories. This heroic look of saving her as a damsel in distress on the railroad tracks or in the middle of the street, that's not the day in, the day out. The day in, the day out, that's hard. That's hard month after month and year after year, but if you love your wife, you'll do it with great joy. You'll do it with great joy. And I, I don't want to sound hard on you, men, but this is what you committed to. When you got married, when you say, I do, this is the role that you stepped into. It is a sacrifice of doing. It is a sacrifice, I think, above all else, of forsaking. Forsaking what? Not your wives. Forsaking yourself, your rights, your liberties, your wants, your desires. In other words, even though your wife has been called to come under your leadership and your headship. You have been called and given the authority and the power to be her head as a servant, as a Christ-like servant. In John chapter 3, such a remarkable text, it says Jesus Verse 3, John 13, verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, so he has all authority and all power. He's going home. He knows this. What does he do? Verse 4, he rose from supper and he began to wash the disciples' feet. What did Jesus Christ do with all his power? What did Jesus Christ do knowing his end was going to be, to be seated at the right hand of the Father. This picture is extraordinary. This is the creator of the universe. This is the one who made the galaxies. And with all of his power and his end being glory, the glory of God in heaven, he takes his disciples' feet and he washes them. He loves them sacrificially. He forsakes his role as creator. He forsakes his role as king and he becomes a humble servant in a home. This is the picture of sacrificial love, men, that we are to have for our wives. So the characteristics of this love are simple to understand. They're difficult to live out. It is an unconditional love and it is a sacrificial love. So what does it look like in practice? Point number two, the practice of these loves Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Why does Paul tell us that? Why does Paul say don't be harsh with your wives? Well, first of all, it's because the wife was just commanded to come under the husband. So he is to lead, right? And so the flesh has a tendency to say, well, I'm in charge now. I have authority. And to be harsh with his wife. 
But there's another reason. The word literally means to make bitter. To make bitter. So you can read it. Husbands, love your wives and do not embitter them. Do not make them bitter. And oh, we're good at that, aren't we? Men, we are. We are so good at embittering our wives. Oftentimes with a critical tongue. Oftentimes with an angry spirit. Sometimes our, our embittering them is just sheer neglect. We are neglecting we're not them. We're not paying attention to them. We're not meeting their needs. Sometimes it's just our slothfulness, not being head and taking care of the responsibilities that we're supposed to as head of our home. You are called to do the opposite. That will embitter a woman, understandably so. You are called to do the opposite. You're not called to embitter. You're called to cherish. You're not called to embitter. You're called to nourish your wives. And these are foundational to this agape love. Back again with me, if you would, Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. This nourishment and this cherishing. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So the first analogy that Paul uses, he said, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, unconditionally and sacrificially. A second analogy says, love your wives as you love your own body. This takes so little explanation. I mean, most of us, even who don't care for ourselves well, we still love our own body. If you're tired, you go to sleep. If you're hungry, you eat. If you're thirsty, you get something to drink. Most of you do things like you, you clean your body and you brush your teeth and you exercise and you do things to care for yourself. Why? This is what normal people do. So Paul reasons through this. He says, listen, you know how to take care of yourself. I want you to do the same for your wives. You know how to nourish your own body. I want you to nourish your wife. And he gives a reason for it. You have become one flesh. You heard the reading from Genesis. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh is what Adam says. It's not as if your wife is your own body. She is your own flesh. And therefore, only, only the sick mind does not care for his body, does not care for his own body. And therefore, only the sick husband will not care for his wife, his own flesh, will not nourish her and will not cherish her. Think of it this way. When you are sinning, do you stop caring for your body? When you're engaged in bad behavior, you say, all right, I won't sleep tonight. When you're engaged in bad behavior, so that's it, I'm not going to eat. No, you still take care of yourselves when you're not behaving well. Why not your wives? Why not continue to care for your wives and love your wives when she's not behaving well? You don't do that to yourself. You ought not exercise that type of discipline against your wives. So this nourishing and this cherishing, what does it look like? Paul says, I want you to nourish your wives. Literally, to What? To feed to an intended outcome is what it means. To give to your wife for an end, an aim, a completion. And this is exactly how Christ loves his church. Ephesians 5, verses 5 and 6. Paul says, when you were dead in your trespasses, he, Christ, made us, he, God, made us alive together with Christ. Now listen to this. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, Christ is loving you to an end. 
He's loving you to complete you. Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So this love sees the end, a completion. And that means that we are to love our wives, husbands in like manner. If Christ loves his bride like that, we are to love our bride like that. We are to nourish our brides physically, emotionally, spiritually. How are we to minister them physically? At the most basic level, husbands are to take care of their wife's basic needs. A roof over her head, food in her stomach, clothes on her back. That means that you need to work hard to take care of your bride. You cannot be lazy. There are many men getting married today who are not ready to take care of their wives. You are to ensure that she lacks none of the basics in life. You want her to live at ease and not be worried day to day. There's going to be food on the table and food for the children and a place to sleep. Are we going to pay rent? Are we going to pay PG&E? That is on you, head. It's on you. You want her to go through life knowing that you are going to care for her because you've made that commitment. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, that would include his wife, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So, to the degree that you can, working hard to take care of the physical needs of your bride, and hopefully taking care of some of her wants too, that you're not going to be a penny pincher, that you're going to bless your bride with other things than just food and clothes and a roof over her head. So that means, men, you will take your wives on vacations now and then. It means, wives, husbands, that you will give your wives gifts now and then. It means that you will take her out to dinner and you will expose her to the glory and the majesty of the daughter of Zion that she is, assuming that you can. It'll be her needs and some of her wants. This nourishment, though, is not just physical, it's emotional as well. This verse really struck out to me this week. Matthew 28, 20, right before his ascension, Jesus said to the disciples, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ cared for his disciples physically, and he cared for them emotionally. He says, listen, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. We're going to be intimate. We're going to be intimate now. I mean, they were, they were distraught that he was leaving. But he says, you need not be. I'm going to have an emotional connection with you now and forever. My dear brothers, do you know how many of your wives are lonely? Do you know how many wives are lonely today? So many seek after an attachment with a friend, an attachment with food or Pinterest, in the worst case scenario, they seek out the attachment, emotional attachment with another man other than you, her husband. This is because men, many today, neglect the very real emotional needs of their wives. You've been called and equipped as her head to provide that, to nourish her emotional needs rightly. So I'll ask you, are you still doing that? Are you still writing the love letters? If you never have, then do tonight. Are you still taking her places? Are you still taking her out to dinner? Are you still finding those times alone for coffee and tea? Are you still engaged in that right emotional development of your wife? 
Oftentimes, my beloved, our wives are so gracious. They are, brothers. They put up with much emotional abuse. More oftentimes than not, their emotional satisfaction will come just by being heard, by having someone to trust and someone to confide in. So let me ask you, brothers, are you listening to your wives, not hearing them as inaudibly, but truly listening? They have much to say. Communication is essential to the emotional well-being of any marriage and essential to the emotional well-being of your wives. I know men, many of you are less communicative than your wives. You have much less to say than your wives. But let me ask you, when you come home at the end of the day and it's been a long, hard day and you're tired and all you want to do is sit still or turn on the TV or look at your phone and your wife's only conversation that day was with a two-year-old, are you going to turn off the TV, close the computer, put down your phone and look into those glorious, beautiful, God-given eyes and listen to her? Are you going to listen to her long and hear her and love her that way? We're called to nourish their material needs. We're called to nourish their emotional needs. We're called to nourish their spiritual needs. You're her spiritual head. The Bible says that God the Father is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of you, man. And if you are married, you are the head of your wife. You are the spiritual head of your wife. There's an entire sermon in this teaching because of the neglect in the church today of men leading their wives. You know, you'll go to many churches on a day like this and you'll see a lot of women and where are the men? Where are the men and leading their wives into a holy convocation on a Sunday morning? You are her head. That means... You are to take the initiative. It is your role. It is your responsibility. And it is your great blessing to love her that way. To pray for her daily. To open up the Bible and teach her the word and share the word with her. It is your calling, men, to bring her into a local body of believers that she might be nourished and loved by pastors and deacons and brothers and sisters in Christ. It is your duty. It is your responsibility to make sure that she is being discipled by other women that she's engaged in small groups, that she's doing ministry work for the glory of Christ. This is your calling. We have so many opportunities here. Are you looking out for your wife's spiritual well-being? You're neglecting this. It's nothing short than a failure of love. If you are pursuing the means of grace, let's say you are, and you're in the Word, and you're in prayer, and you're in the church, and you're doing ministry, and you got fellowship, and your wife is not, and you are not calling her to that, and praying for her, and leading her in that, and you say, that's her choice. That's not the right response. Worse yet, if the roles are reversed, and your wife is the one who's praying, and reading, and ministering, and gathering, and you're not, I don't know what else to say, but shame on you. Repent, and turn God will ask you to give an account for the spiritual leadership in your home of your wife. And that is not a ball you want to drop. You don't want to come before God and say, you know what, I provided for her physically, I provided for her emotionally, yeah, I dropped the ball spiritually, but two out of three is not bad. We are to nourish our wives. We are to cherish 
our wives. That word in verse 29 of Ephesians 5, you know what it means? I didn't know this, and I should have. It means to keep warm. To keep warm. What are you keeping warm? What are you keeping warm in your wife's life? What are you cherishing to, to, to keep her in a particular place? It's her heart. You're going to keep warm her affection for God. You're going to keep warm her affection for you. In the context of a marriage, it means kindling that fire daily by knowing her. You know, we're commanded to know our wives. 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. It means know them. Know their likes. Know their dislikes. Know their fears. Know the struggles. Know them so well that you can nourish them and cherish them to the best of your abilities in Christ. How many wives today would say, my husband doesn't know me at all. He doesn't know what I really think. He doesn't know what I'm really afraid of. He doesn't know my hopes or my goals. He doesn't know this. To cherish your wife will mean that you do not treat her like one of the guys. She's not one of the guys. It means you will not talk to her like she's one of the guys. She's not one of the guys. She is a a precious jewel in the crown of Christ. She is this fantastic piece of fine china that's been given to you. Did you ever have to deal with fine china? My mom had it. My wife has it. And every time she puts it out, it never goes in the dishwasher. You don't, I, yeah, I know now. You don't put china in the dishwasher. You wash it very carefully, and then you dry it very carefully, and then you stack it very carefully because it's, it's fragile. It's beautiful. It's exquisite, but it's fragile. It can chip. It can break. It's expensive. Do you see your wives like that? So precious but breakable. I mean, your words can break your wife's heart. You know that. You've done it. Breakable. To cherish her will mean to be patient with her, and we don't understand it. And again, if you think that you've never under, not understood your wife, then you haven't been married very long either. There are things we just don't understand. We don't. But are we patient in that? Are we gentle with our wives when we don't, when we want to lash out, when the flesh wants to lash out? Are you gentle instead? It means to cherish her will mean to treat her with the utmost respect and honor. 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, show honor to your wives. Show them honor. Show them respect. It means you won't micromanage them, men. That does not honor your wife to micromanage your wife. She's a co-heir with Christ. She's going to be seated upon a throne as you are. Just because she is submitting to you now, she will not submit to you forever. Proverbs 31.11. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. That means when your wife doesn't do something right, you don't strip her of the authority. You don't strip her of power. You don't become punitive with her. Cherishing your wife means you will protect her. You'll protect her physically and emotionally and spiritually. You'll guard her ears. 
You will ensure that she's not exposed to heresy. You will protect her in such a way that she is seen and sustained as a daughter of Christ. You will cherish her by reminding her daily of who she really is in the Lord. This is a big one then. The flesh beats up on itself. Our wives beat up on themselves. And they get down and they, they say, I don't look the way I want to look. I don't feel the way I want to feel. I'm not serving as I want to serve. I'm not the wife that I want to be. I'm not the mother that I want to be. Do you take them lovingly and patiently and bring them to the cross of Christ? Say, see who you really are. Do you see yourself daughter of Zion Brilliant, radiant, holy, beloved, glorious in Christ. Remind them of that daily, hourly if necessary, so they don't lose focus of who they are. Cherishing your wife means that you will make her feel as though she is loved more by you than anyone else in the world. Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. If you cherish your wife properly, she will feel loved by you in such a way as though you love her only. And of course you don't. You love Christ and you love your children, but she will have that sense that he must pour all his love out on me. He loves me unconditionally. He loves me sacrificially. He nourishes me. He cherishes me. Who am I to be loved like this? And husbands, if you say, you know, My wife doesn't submit to that other verse you talked about last week. She doesn't submit to me all that well. My first question will be for you. How are you loving her? Are you loving her like this? Because I will argue that any man who loves his wife unconditionally, sacrificially, nourishes her and cherishes her as Christ loves the church, she will beg to submit to you. Why would she not? That is the relationship here on earth. All right, I know I'm long. I've got to close. Last point. So much more to say on this. There is so much more. The characteristics of this love, it's unconditional and sacrificial. Are you loving your wives unconditionally and sacrificially? It's a yes or no. The practicing of this love is to nourish and to cherish. Husbands, are you nourishing your wife? Are you cherishing your wife as Christ nourishes and cherishes his church? But what ties all this together is the end of it. It is the goal of it all. Point number three. What is the goal of this love? Why such hard commands? And they are hard. And if you think they're not hard, then I have done a poor job communicating them. Ephesians 5 again, if you would, look with me beginning at verse 25. I want to talk about the goal of all of this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives. You want the motivation to all of this? Why, husbands, you ought to love your wives and not be harsh with them? why you ought to love your wives as Christ loves the church, why you ought to love your wives as you love your own body, it's right here. It's the end of it all. It's the eschatological picture. It's that final day when Christ comes again in glory and you take your wife and you bring her before the Lord. 
Christ with His bride in two verses. Two verses. In Ephesians 5, Paul gives us seven descriptions of purification. In two verses. Sanctify, cleanse, wash, make spotless, flawless, holy, without blemish. Do you see how serious Christ is about making the church pure? So too you husbands, if you love your wives, will be serious about making her pure. Sanctifying her. Cleansing her, washing her, making her spotless, flawless, holy, and without blemish. In the same way, this is how we are to love them. It is utterly staggering. This is a verse that levels me. I can't look at it without being convicted. My primary responsibility with my wife is this purification process. I use it as the big stick in my premarital counseling. When a young man and young woman come in to go through this, this is the, this is the big one. I pull this out last. I said, do you know what your job is? Do you have any idea what you are committing to? Do you know what it means to love your wife as Christ loves the church, to cleanse her like this? This is the most high calling for any man to love his wife, to make her holy, to present her before a thrice holy God. So let me ask you, brothers, are you working to this end? Husbands, is it part of your daily prayer and practice to sanctify your wives? Is it part of your consciousness at all to make her holy as God is holy? Because that day is fastly coming for all of us when she too will stand before the Lord. How will she stand? What part will you play? God, if you are married, God gave her to you so that you could give her back to him better than when you first met her. Better than when you first met her. Spotless, clean, washed, white as snow. So let me ask you, are you doing everything in your power as a husband to increase her faith and her love for Jesus Christ? Are you doing everything in your power as a husband to decrease the temptation of her flesh to sin and move away from Christ? So many of the things we've already talked about will include this. But are you teaching her the ways of the faith? Are you discipling your wives, husbands? If you are discipling other men and you're not discipling your wife, you are failing as a discipler. She is your number one responsibility. Are you praying for her? Are you praying with her? Are you teaching her how to pray? Are you studying the Bible with her? Are you teaching her how to study the Bible? Are you bringing her to a place like this where she can gather with the saints and be encouraged and be convicted and be held accountable? Are you encouraging her to engage in ministry? Or are you monopolizing her time? Are you one of those men who say, no, 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 you must stay home. You must take care of me. You must take care of the children. You must tend the house. Or are you sending her out to minister to brothers and sisters in Christ, to have one-on-one -on -one discipleship? Are you sending her to the mountaintop to pray with God and be alone? Say, you go pray. I'll watch the kids. You go pray. I'll make dinner. Are you enabling her to grow 
into the daughter of Christ that she is by selflessly giving her away. Not making her feel guilty every time she leaves the house. Not saying, but what's going to be for dinner? How are we going to eat? We're all going to die if you don't cook. Yes, we might die, right, if we don't get a meal. It means as well, my brothers, that you must be strong enough to say no to your wives when they're going headlong into sin. I think this is one of the parts we're weakest at, but it's nothing new. It goes all the way back to the beginning. When she wants to sin, you must lovingly say, no, we will not. Adam failed to lead his wife in righteousness by allowing her to eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. The knowledge of tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He did not protect her from the serpent. He failed. Abraham failed to lead his wife Sarah in righteousness by heeding her counsel and sleeping with Hagar and having a child outside of marriage. And in both cases, it says, the man listened to his wife. There are times, men, when you must not listen to your wives, and that is any time that she is leading you or leading herself in a direction that dishonors Christ. It's when you need to step in and say lovingly and patiently and kindly, no, we're not going that way. I'm not going to allow this sin to devour you. I'm not going to let it devour us. We will not go. We must not be like Adam and Abraham and fail to lead our wives in righteousness. So if the end is glorification before God, if your wife is a gift given to you to give back to God on that last day, are you living in accordance with that truth? I want to tell you to enjoy your wives. Please do. They are gifts from heaven. I want you to rejoice in the great work that you see God doing in her life. The grace, the little graces, rejoice in that. Encourage her with that. Show her those things. Men, do not sing to the level of assuming that love is an emotion that comes and goes. Do not fall prey to the culture. Your love is to be active. It is to be sacrificial. It is to be one of service. And therefore, I want to encourage you by the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance with God's word to actively love your wives like this. Love them unconditionally. Love them sacrificially. Be intentional about nourishing and cherishing them. And for all your married life, keep the goal ever before you. She's not yours. She is God's. And she will stand before the Lord and she will give an account And by God's grace, you will have done everything in your power by the Spirit to make her holy as God is holy. I want, I want my wife to stand before Christ and hear Christ say to her, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want to be instrumental in that well done. This is the work that Christ has accomplished for us his bride. This is the work men we are called to do with our wives. It is a most high calling. 
I would love to be able to stand here and tell you that I have done it well. I would say in the 28 years of my married life, I have not done it well. My wife is gracious. She would argue otherwise. But I can tell you this. The more I contemplate Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5, the more convicted I am of my lack of unconditional love, of my lack of sacrifice, of my lack of cherishing and nourishing the God-given gift that my wife is, of not seeing my role to purify her and make her holy. I pray you have that same conviction. Regardless of how great a husband you may be, I pray it rightly brings us to our knees and ask God to forgive us for not rightly loving our wives and then love them well. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, there is so much here that we didn't even touch. The depth of this love, as described in your word, could fill thousands of books and occupy pulpits for centuries. We want to understand well how we are to love one another in covenant marriage. We want to be wives who out of their love for Christ, rightly submit to their husbands. We want to be husbands out of our love for Christ that rightly love our wives. Father, we are in desperate need of your help. There is no hope in looking to the culture. And for many in the church today, Lord, we, we do not have this right biblical perspective. And so we ask, Lord, that you would change it. Change our homes by changing our marriages. Cultivate in us, even this day, a love so deep and so real and so radical for Jesus Christ that we will want to live as the men and women you've called and equipped us to be. Father, please forgive us for continuing to fall prey to our own flesh. Please forgive us for hearing the lies of the culture and allowing it to come into our marriages and our homes. We ask that you would cast it out and transform us as husbands and wives. Transform our families to be the brilliant reflectors of the glory of Christ that we can be. I ask that you would start here at Cambrian Park Baptist Church. Let our homes and our marriages model your goodness and your glory. And let it spill over into this community. Let it spill over into our sister churches. Let this South Bay area know that a husband and a wife, born again in Christ, love differently. We ask that you would do this, Father, for the well-being of your, your children, for the well-being of your church. But above all else, we ask that you would do it for your own glory, for your own sake, Lord. Show Christ the world through us. Show Christ to the world through the love husbands have for their wives. And when someone asks a wife, why are you loved like that? How does your husband love you like that? How can he? We say, Christ, Christ, Christ. Oh, this is what we long for. And so we ask that you would bring it to pass here in this place. In Christ's name, amen.